Um, Father, thank you so much for everything that we've already heard this morning and sung this morning. We want to confess together that Christ alone is our cornerstone and that in him the weak are made strong. In his love, we want to thank you for reminding us this morning that because of Jesus, the lamb who was slain, you come to us and you lift up our heads and you look us in the eye and you let us know that we are loved and you invite us to come and eat with you. Um, And Father, we want to pray this morning that the truth of these things would not just stay in our minds, but would sink really deeply down into the depths of us and into our hearts. Um, Father, I want to pray this morning as we open up your word. um, You've said to us that if any of us lack wisdom, we should ask you, because you give it generously without finding fault. Um, And as we open up this challenging, puzzling book of the Bible, um, we want to pray, would you, would you give us that wisdom? Would you, if we're finding it hard to understand, um, help us to be patient. Um, we pray that you would gently lead us by your spirit to insight um, that will make a difference in our lives. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, before, before we come to Ecclesiastes this morning, uh, one of the things I'm really aware of is Ecclesiastes, as we said last week, um, is a book that has glimmers of hope, and we'll see maybe more of those as we go along, but I am kind of very aware um, it's, not a, it's not a book that's bursting with hope, and parts of it can be challenging. And I, I said to you last week, if you're finding the book difficult, it is okay to stand back and look at the big picture of the Bible, because in Jesus we have great hope, right? And so I wanted to begin actually by just by reading something. It's not related to Ecclesiastes, uh, but somebody um, sent this to me during the week. Uh, somebody who hasn't been coming to church uh, for very long, who's maybe been sitting beside you some week recently, uh, who maybe was sitting quietly and you didn't um, look twice at them. But I wanna, I wanna read this to you. You never know who you're sitting beside on a Sunday morning. And this is just a really simple testimony, which the person has written on a little page of a notebook and said they wouldn't have the courage to come up here and read it, but they wanted me to share it with you because they hoped it might encourage somebody else. And I'm just going to read it in their words. It says, I was led to write this to encourage someone. Maybe you're here today and you're suffering in silence. Maybe there's a war going on in your head and your heart and no one knows. Perhaps your circumstances are making you feel like you're drowning. I have been there many times. Only this time I have Jesus. I may struggle a little with this. Although my circumstances may outwardly remain the same, Jesus has worked on me internally. I need someone here to know when issues arise internally and externally, God provides the answer. Feelings of fear, he provides courage. For pain, he provides strength. In times of desperation, he provides hope. In seasons of lack and poverty, he has given me a heart to give. Through seasons of abusive situations, he has given me a heart full of compassion and empathy. Feelings of hate, 
He provides forgiveness, anger. He provides self-control and discipline. The inner turmoil that comes with hard situations. Jesus provided me with a peaceful resting place long enough to collect myself. In the midst of destruction, he gave me steps. In moments of feeling abandoned and neglected, he gave me the most precious gift, his presence and love. So please lay it all out at the feet of Jesus. Let your creator heal and repair you. No matter who you are or what you've done, you're worth it. No pain is ever wasted. You're beautifully broken, never damaged. And they left at the end um, just a couple of Bible verses, which I want to read you as well. Um, Psalm 28, verse 7 and 8. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. And then from 1 Peter 5, verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. There you go. Um, you don't need a sermon from me now. Um, and I wanted to make sure I read that now so it's on the recording because I think that's going to be really helpful for many people. And the person who's written that has walked through really, really hard things, but they wanted you to know that is their, their testimony. So now I've got to try and preach. All right, take a breath. Um, so let me start by being a little bit silly. Um, anybody know what movie this is? Um, one of the greatest movies ever made, Groundhog Day. Um, do you ever feel like you're listening to the same sermon again and again and again? Um, yes, that's a little Groundhog Day Ecclesiastes joke just to start with. Um, anybody know what movie this is? It's the harder one. Anybody? Might be the older generation. Anybody name the movie? Whisper, whisper, whisper. Um, it's a movie called The Eagle Has Landed. Um, starring Robert Duvall and Michael Caine and Donald Sutherland, I think, there. Um, the, the Eagle Has Landed uh, was based on a book written by a man called Jack Higgins. Uh, Jack Higgins was an unbelievably popular uh, writer, um, especially in the 70s and 80s, a British author of thrillers and spy novels. Um, his book sold more than 250 million copies worldwide um, in 50... Uh, translated into 55 different languages, made into movies that were international uh, uh, success. Jack Higgins was asked one time uh, in, an, in an interview what he would have liked to have known as a boy as he was starting out in life. And he said, I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. And you'll see as we read in Ecclesiastes again how that resonates with what we're going to read today. I wish that somebody had told me when you get to the top, there's nothing there. And we, we read last week um, about this word hevel, sometimes translated meaningless or vanity, but really meaning breath or mist or vapor. And this repeated theme in Ecclesiastes that everything is hevel, everything is vapor. 
and mist, because life is fleeting and fragile and elusive and repetitive. Um, and we also thought last week about how, as, as you reflect on the Hevel nature of life, it can lead sometimes to the conclusion that all things are wearisome. Um, it can lead to that sense of that life is pointless or meaningless or empty or absurd. And we suggested last week all of us can feel that way sometimes. All of us visit that place. Some of us can find ourselves there for quite a while. Um, but I think we're all aware that is not a comfortable place to be, feeling like everything is wearisome or pointless or meaningless. And so inevitably, we look for ways to escape that feeling. We look for ways to fill the void or fill the emptiness. Um, or to put it another way, we look for something to run after that will give life a sense of direction and purpose and meaning. Um, and I wonder if I was to ask you, what kind of things do people run after in order to escape from a feeling of emptiness or a feeling of wearisomeness or a feeling of um, meaninglessness? I wonder how you would, you would answer. What do people run after? Um, and maybe although there are lots and lots of people on planet Earth, and in some ways everyone is different, actually the answer to that question, or the answers to that question of what people run after are relatively predictable. Um, people tend to run after the same kind of things in every generation, again and again and again. And the teacher, Coalette, as he gathers us together to share what he has learned, um, the, the we find that the teacher sets out to try some of the most popular answers. And then he gathers us together to share what he has learned. And the bit of the book we're going to read now is kind of a little bit of autobiography from the teacher. What has he discovered through experience? What has he discovered as he has tried some of the most popular things that people run after in our world? Uh, so we're going to read together Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Um, and the first thing we're going to find him running after is wisdom. We're going to think about three this morning, uh, three really popular things to run after. Uh, the first one is wisdom. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are hevel, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge the more grief. And so we're hearing a, one of the refrains that is repeated um, again and again in this book. So he tries the first big answer, which is wisdom and knowledge. And his conclusion, this too, is a chasing after the wind. And maybe immediately we've we got to say, this is a bit of a shock. Um, because we are, after all, 
reading a book that is, is literally from the section of the Bible known as the wisdom books. And it sits in our Bible alongside Proverbs. And if you know anything about Proverbs, Proverbs from start to finish is a celebration of wisdom. And so Proverbs says things like, do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Right? So that's Proverbs. And then we turn a few pages and the teacher in Ecclesiastes describes the pursuit of wisdom as hevel, as a chasing after the wind. He says that wisdom brings sorrow and grief. And it's one of those places where I, I think we're meant to be a little bit puzzled and provoked and intrigued. We're meant to set the two books side by side and go, how are we meant to read these together and listen to both these voices? The Bible is clearly saying there is a kind of wisdom that is good and beautiful and life-giving, and Proverbs is celebrating it and saying, go after it with everything you've got. But Ecclesiastes is warning us that sometimes something that we call a pursuit of wisdom can actually lead to sorrow and emptiness, and both things somehow are true. Um, I think what the teacher in Ecclesiastes seems to be talking about uh, the word wisdom can be used in different ways. Um, the teacher in Ecclesiastes here is not talking about wisdom as spiritual insight, which enables us to live well, which I think is the perspective of Proverbs and, and of other parts of the Bible as well. So wisdom can be spiritual insight that enables you to live well. Um, but instead, what the, the writer to Ecclesiastes, what, what the teacher here is talking about is it seems to be a pursuit of more and more knowledge and information and ideas where we fill our heads with facts and insights and understanding. We read and read and study and study and learn and learn. And we can study science and history and literature and psychology and theology. Um, and I think there's no doubt lots of people today pin their hopes there in order to escape from a feeling of emptiness. What will give life a sense of purpose? What will give life a sense of meaning? Education, reading, study, learning um, will give life those things and will save us from that feeling of emptiness and weariness. I think there's lots of people today who are pinning their hopes in that direction. But the testimony of the teacher is that it doesn't work. Um, he is saying he dedicated himself to learning all there is to learn, and he gained a reputation as the smartest man of his generation. But he comes out the other side and says, in the end, it was like chasing the wind. He didn't find what he was looking for. If what he was looking for was a sense of peace or contentment or joy or satisfaction. Um, and I, I think this is really challenging for our generation. Um, we have access in our generation to more knowledge than any other generation. And I could ask you, if I asked you to, I'm not going to, because um, we shouldn't even bring them to church. But if I asked you, you could bring out of your pocket um, a little pocket computer, uh, which we call a phone, um, which through which, at the click of a button, you can gain access to pretty much 
the entirety of human knowledge on any subject under heaven, right? And I want to ask you the question, because we've, we've lived with the internet for long enough now, and we've lived with mobile phones for long enough. And I want to ask you a very Ecclesiastes question. What have we gained? What have we gained? Have we found peace? Have we found contentment? Have we found joy? Have we found wholeness? Has it brought us together in a great unity as humankind? Um, or is it not true that we are more restless and anxious than ever before? Um, listen to these words from um, a 20th century poet. This was T.S. Eliot, and he was writing early in the 20th century. I, every time I read this poem, I find it amazing that this wasn't written by somebody after the invention of the internet, because uh, I think it's prophetically, powerfully true to the information age. Uh, but listen to these words from T.S. Eliot, and this is very Ecclesiastes. He says, the endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness, knowledge of speech, but not of silence, knowledge of words and ignorance of the word. All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. All our ignorance brings us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we've lost in living? Where is the wisdom we've lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we've lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us further from God and nearer to the dust. I think that's a powerfully prophetic poem. Um, what is all of our searching for knowledge and information, what, is, what have we gained? Um, the teacher says it's a chasing after the wind. So let's try something else. Um, I promise I will try and end on a hopeful note this morning. Um, what's the second thing he goes looking for? Um, it is pleasure. Let's try something very different. Um, we're going to read on in chapter two. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be Havel. And I'm not going to read the whole passage here, but I'll give you a little list. Um, he lists all the things that he tried, and they include laughter, wine, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, orchards, slaves, herds, flocks, silver, gold, treasure, singers, and a harem. Um, and he, he sums all of that up by saying this, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Right? And what is his conclusion? Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was Havel, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And so the teacher pursues pleasure and comes to the same conclusion. It's a chasing after the wind. Um, you can see from what I, I put on the screen there, the, the pleasure that the teacher pursues, I guess, is especially pleasure related to wealth. Um, all the delightful things and enjoyable things that money can buy, he goes after. So I think this is very much about wealth and pleasure. Um, these are very much the pleasures of the mega-rich, 
that he describes. Um, I, I find myself wondering if it was written today. You can imagine that the list would include sports cars and a luxury yacht and a succession of beautiful women on your arm and a, maybe a Caribbean island and maybe a, maybe a football club um, to add to your portfolio. Um, a couple of times, if you, if you read through this section um, later on, you'll notice a couple of times the teacher says something a little bit puzzling. He says, my wisdom was still with me, or I was still guided by wisdom. Um, and I think there is a kind of playfulness or humor there, uh, where he, the teacher seems to be saying, I pursued pleasure almost as a scientific experiment. Um, I decided to try these things and kind of note down in my notebook, did they work? Um, to find out, to learn, to discover. So I was, I was still pursuing knowledge, but now I was wanting to know, um, do these things work? Will these things fill the void? And what did he learn? That all these things also are Havel, a chasing after the wind. All of these pleasures did not bring peace or satisfaction or wholeness or joy. Um, I was thinking about this. I was thinking probably a lot of us, even maybe as we're listening to that, would say, I don't really want to be mega rich. Um, we can see that that would be a very strange life. The life of the super rich might be a bit odd and a bit, um, a bit strange. Um, and so most of us might say, we just want to have a bit more <laughs> than what we have now so we can do a few more of the pleasurable things that are enjoyable, a few more holidays, a few more meals out, a slightly better house, a slightly better car. We don't want to be mega rich. We just want a bit more than what we have now. I'm guessing that's where most of us would be. We, we consistently seem to believe that a little more wealth would make us content. We would end our restlessness then. Um, the difficulty is that working out how much is enough proves to be very elusive. <laughs> um, it's a little bit like if you've, I don't know if you've, if you've ever climbed a mountain. Um, I haven't climbed very many in my life, but um, if you climb a mountain, you always have this bit where you think you're arriving at the peak and you're convinced that the bit you're about to go over, you're going to arrive on the top. And then you get over the bit that you're climbing up to and then you realize, oh, there's another whole bit uh, still to come. And then you've got to climb up it and you, you have a few false arrivals uh, before you get there. There's something of that in the pursuit of wealth, except we never quite arrive at the peak. Um, I remember a friend of mine who's a financial advisor telling me, that the most anxious person he knows who worries more about money than anybody else is a literal millionaire. But he worries and worries all the time. Um, and a few chapters later in Ecclesiastes, I'm going to cheat and jump ahead. Um, the teacher says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is Havel. You keep reaching for it and never finding it. And he says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. It's a very profound thought. As we get more and more, our appetite grows more and more, and we continue to be restless. And so the teacher pursues wealth and pleasure and says, this too is chasing after the wind. Um, what else is there uh, to fill the void, to run after? Let's consider one, one final one. We're going to skip forward a little bit. Um, to think about work. Um, so not thinking so much now about the things that work earns in terms of money 
Um, but work in itself, maybe work, can give our lives meaning and purpose. Um, so let's read uh, from chapter 2, verse 17. The teacher says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is Havel, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Why? Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is Hevel. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun, for a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is Havel and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain, and even at night, their minds do not rest. And this too is Havel. Another possibility um, and the same conclusion. It's a chasing after the wind. Um, like I said, I think this is not so much this bit about working for money and the pleasures that money can buy. But for some people, the, the goal is just work for its own sake, work for the sake of work, or maybe work for the sake of achievement and success and accomplishment and being able to say, I have done something significant, I have built something significant, um, and, and finding satisfaction in that. Um, and again, I think there are lots of people who, who pursue this path, and I think it's a very tempting one for any of us to give life a sense of purpose. Um, because we can say as we work, we're making progress, we're moving up the ladder, we're getting more responsibility, we're getting more influence, we're getting more respect from others. And, and maybe even we often believe the things we're working for are good and worthwhile and we're making a difference, and we're changing the culture, and we're building a legacy, and it's all really worthwhile, and this is what will give our lives purpose and help us escape that sense of wearisomeness. But the teacher says, and you can hear the weariness, can't you, in his voice? He says, I poured out my effort and skill. I labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and I found that this too was Havel chasing after the wind. Um, and there's a real um, bitter realism, I think, to what he says. Why does he conclude that that is meaningless? Because in the end, I have to leave the things that I wor have worked for and pass them on to someone else who may be an idiot. <laughs> um, right? That's kind of what he's saying. Like, who may not care about the things that I care about. Um, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about when I was young, um, the estate that my family lived in was on a hill, and we lived at the very top, which was very exhausting when you just walked home from school with your school bag and your sports kit and your violin and whatever. Um, actually, that's nothing to do with the story. I'm just looking for your sympathy. Um, but um, as, as I turned into the bottom of our estate, um, there was a, a, a garden, a house on the corner um, with a little garden, small garden. Um, but it always caught your eye because it was the, the best kept garden in the estate. 
and it was an older couple who lived there, and you'd often see them out there pottering in the garden, and they planted all kinds of beautiful things, and they kept the garden immaculately. It was lovely. And even as a child who didn't really appreciate gardening, maybe as I was exhausted on my way home, it brightened my way a little bit. It was like, look at that. It's beautiful. Um, but a few years later, the old couple died. The house was passed on to somebody else. The person it was passed on to didn't care about gardening, uh, didn't seem to look at the garden at all. And so what had been the most beautiful garden in the estate became the most overgrown mess of a garden in the estate, like an absolute eyesore, and people threw rubbish in it, and it never got cleaned up. And now when you walk past it, your heart kind of sank. And for me, that's a little picture of what Ecclesiastes is talking about. You can pour your heart and soul into something, but those who come after you may not care about the things that you care about. They may not tend it with love. And we have no control over what's going to happen to the things that we have worked for. You can pour the best of yourself into building a business or building a, a ministry or building a movement or a, a, a project or whatever it is, or even a family. And when you're gone, you have no control over what those who come next are going to do. And so I've reached the end of our bleakness this morning. Um, maybe you can understand the teacher concludes, my heart began to despair. Because <laughs> I've, I've tried all the big answers, all the most popular answers. Um, I tried knowledge and understanding. I tried pleasure and everything that money can buy. I tried work and achievement and building something meaningful. But all of it eludes me. It's like dust in the wind. It's like vapor. And so, John Mark, can we find any glimmers of hope in this passage before we go home uh, to our lunch? Um, let me point you in the direction of what I think are just a few little glimmers of hope that point us in the right direction. Um, and sometimes in reading the Bible, it just pays attention to slow down and pay attention to the words a little bit more closely. And so look at this verse in verse 22 that we just read. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? And when you slow down and pay attention um, and get a little help from the commentaries, um, the language of anxious striving um, really speaks of longing and yearning. It's talking about desire, right? Um, and I think here is a clue that can point us towards hope. In all of our endless pursuit of more knowledge and more money and more pleasure and more work and more achievement, um, underneath all of our restless activity and all of our running around, here, here I think is the question. Uh, let me just put up the word longing. Um, what is it that your heart is longing for? What is it that your heart is yearning towards? What is the, the deepest desire of your heart? Right? If you stop all your running around for a minute and try and tune in, um, what is the deepest longing of your heart? And mainly I want to leave that question with you to take into your week. Find some time today, find some time this week to sit quietly in a chair with no distractions and consider that question. Even better, go and sit outside by a river, by the sea, 
and think about that question. What is it your heart longs for underneath all the frenzy of activity? That's one little clue. I think that points us in the right direction. Um, but I want you also to notice this little phrase. What do people get for all the toil and longing with which they labor under the sun? And you may already have noticed that's a phrase that's repeated again and again and again in Ecclesiastes, so it's pretty important. Um, this pursuit that the teacher has been describing of wisdom and pleasure and work, where, where does it take place? What's the location of this search? The location is under the sun, um, or to put it more less poetically, on the earth, in this world, within creation. That is where the search is taking place, under the sun. And so far, the search has come up empty-handed. The, the teacher is trying everything he can find under the sun, everything he can find in the, the world of created things that might satisfy the hunger, that might fill the void. Um, some of you will know this quote that C.S. Lewis very famously said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Right? In other words, he's saying that ache and longing that you feel that can't be filled by any of the things you try, it's a clue pointing you somewhere. It's a little needle on the compass pointing you somewhere. If you find a desire within yourself and you're trying all the options that are available to see what might fill the longing and none of them are working, it's a clue that maybe you need to lift your head a little higher. If we have a longing and a yearning for something but it can't be satisfied by anything we can find under the sun, then perhaps we need to look above the sun. Right? I think that's where the Ecclesiastes is leading us in a meandering kind of way. Um, and so I want to read one more verse with you before we finish. Um, just the next verse after where we stopped before. Um, and this is what the teacher says. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil, their own work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Now this is still Ecclesiastes, so you're only getting the little tiny glimpses of hope, but he's pointing us in the right direction. Um, here is the beginning of a better kind of wisdom, the beginning of some kind of hope, the beginning of a pathway to joy, that when we lift our eyes above the sun and above all created things in this world and look to the creator, then something starts to shift. Um, something starts to change in our whole view of life. And we start to recognize that every good thing in this world, including food and drink and including work and including uh, knowledge and information. Um, every good thing in this world is a gift where? From the hand of God. That little phrase I think is really important. It comes from the hand of the creator. Um, um, as it says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. 
Um, and whenever we start to receive the good things of life in that way, um, something starts to change and the language changes. Instead of being empty and wearisome, we find um, words we're not expecting in Ecclesiastes like satisfaction and enjoyment start to sneak into the picture. Where did they come from? Right? Um, wisdom, the things we've been talking about this morning, wisdom and pleasure and work are not bad things. But when we make them the center of our search, when we look to them to give life meaning and purpose, they actually end up causing us harm and breaking our hearts and making us sad and leaving us empty. And we're left clutching a handful of wind and of mist and of vapor. But you see the little hints that are being left here in Ecclesiastes. When we lift our eyes up and recognize the giver and start to receive these things from his hand with gratitude, they start to find their proper place and bring joy. Um, or to put it another way, if we seek first God and his kingdom, all these other things get given to us as well. Um, not as things that we are anxiously striving after, but as things that we receive with an empty hand, as gifts with gratitude um, and with joy. So there's our hints to point us in the right direction. And you can follow those threads this week and see uh, where they lead you. Um, let's pray together. Um, then we're going to sing. Um, let me encourage you this morning. Um, if there's anything going on in your heart, in your life, where you'd love someone to pray with you, maybe the testimony I read at the beginning uh, of my time up here really resonates with where you are at the minute, and you'd love someone to pray with you for that kind of hope and restoration and healing. Um, there'll be a couple of people up here who would love to pray with you uh, when the service is over. Um, let's pray together. Father, we want to pray that we would have ears to hear this morning these challenging things that you're saying to us through your word. Father, we know that very often we want to put our fingers in our ears and not listen to this kind of wisdom. Um, we've heard people say before that these things don't satisfy, that they don't fill the void in the human heart. We've seen the testimony of many people who have tried them and ended up still empty and anxious and troubled. But still there's something in our human nature that wants to go and find out for ourselves. Um, Father, I want to pray, would you help us to hear this wisdom that is being given to us this morning, this true wisdom, that we don't need to learn this the hard way that we can hear the warning of the teacher saying all of this is a chasing after the wind and we can make a different choice to spend our lives running after something else, running after you, running after your kingdom. And so, Father, I want to pray. Um, I pray these things would land with us and I pray each of us would take it away and genuinely and honestly reflect on what this means for the way that we spend our days, how we exert ourselves, how we use our gifts and our skills and our time that we have on this earth. Help us not to spend our lives running after smoke and mist and vapor, 
Would you plant in our hearts a vision of your eternal kingdom and help us to run after that with our whole hearts? And Father, I also want to pray this week, would you help us just to receive the many little gifts that you send our way of um, food and drink and sunlight and laughter and friendship and enjoyment in our work and all kinds of things, but would you help us to receive those as gifts from you with gratitude? And we pray that as we live, learn to live that way, we might be surprised by joy, that it might sneak up on us when we're least expecting it as a gift from our Creator. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.